today I've got a confession. Some of you that are here for your first time, you're like, okay, here we go. Let's pull out the phones, record the good stuff. The confession is this. Your worship guide is full of lies and deceit. Um, and here's why. So I will not be preaching from John chapter 12 this morning. Um, but when I do, when we get back to it, I've got about 75% of my sermon done and a sermon title, so we'll be good to go. Um, but what we will be doing this morning is looking at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. So go ahead and turn there, and then I'm going to explain to our members who actually uh, care a little bit more about why we're in Acts this morning and not continuing in John. Uh, so if you are uh, visiting with us, uh, we typically do book studies. Uh, we've been in the Gospel of John. We started in January of 2022, and uh, we took a little break. We typically take a break during the summer and uh, just do some topical uh, series on different things that we want to address uh, specifically for our church congregation. Um, this summer, we're going to be looking at uh, God's design for the family and what that really means and uh, what it means to be a godly man, husband, woman, wife, and children and how we uh, look at that and also how singles come into play. Some of you might be like, well, I'll, I'll skip that series because I'm not married yet. Well, you want to be prepared for marriage and you also want to know how the Lord uh, can use you in the life of uh, the families that you are with. So um, also next week, as mentioned the last couple of weeks, we have some training. Uh, Disciple the Nations will be uh, coming. They'll be doing some training with us, uh, for us. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're going to be here, we want you there. Um, I've said this over and over, and we really think it's important for you to be there as we uh, learn and grow in what it means to uh, send missionaries well. We want to be a sending church we're not trying to grow to thousands. We want to, we want to send out. We want to multiply and create a replicable model to send out and to spread the <laughs> glories of Christ uh, to those that need to hear it. And so next week he'll be doing some training uh, with us. He's also the pastor uh, of a church in Oklahoma. His name is Dustin Meadows, and he will be preaching for us. And so he'll be preaching uh, within that theme of just how do we as a church uh, continue to uh, think about missions and how do we then do it well. And so I've been thinking through what's the best time to take our break in John. And uh, what John chapter 12 does is really starts a whole new section. And so what we would have ended up doing if I would have stayed on track today was we would have really started the Saturday before Holy Week. And then we would have taken a break. And, and then we would have uh, preached a couple sermons about it. But then we would have taken a break again. So we, we thought it would be the wisest decision uh, to just go ahead and pause this week. Uh, we'll take a couple of weeks off. Um, and then we will look at the family series. And then we'll probably pick up in the gospel according to John sometime in July. All right, everybody understand that? Everybody on board with that? So with that, turn to Acts 8, 26 through 40. So focus here today is evangelism. My goal is to help us to see that we are all equipped as Christians to evangelize. And so another reason for today is that uh, many of you college students are leaving. 
Uh, you're going out to uh, the world, maybe even just for the summer. Um, maybe you're leaving uh, for good and you're starting careers, whatever the case may be. But uh, I want to help you to see through this passage here that we are able to evangelize to the world around us. So I'm going to read Acts 26 through 44. So I'll be reading from the ESV. If you need a copy of God's Word, grab one on the table in the back. They are our gift to you. Acts 26 through 40. Would you hear the word of God? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before cheer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through he, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful to be your people. Uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to sit under the authority of your word. So I ask God that you would use this time for our good and your glory. Pray that you would soften the hearts of those that are here today, that they would receive encouragement where needed, conviction where needed, and that we would be transformed into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for any that are not believers, that do not trust in the finished work of Christ for their salvation. I pray, Father, that they would see this beautiful story, and it would encourage them that they would look to Christ for all that they need. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning with a few statistics. In 2019, LifeWay Research conducted a survey amongst Protestant churchgoers who attended church service at least once a month. Now, it's a really low bar. Let me encourage you, attend church gatherings more than once a month. But nevertheless, they were asked two major questions that I think are helpful 
for our time this morning. One, about how often do you pray for opportunities to evangelize? Uh, And that means to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's how they answered. 23% said every day. 21% a few times a week. 12% once a week. 11% a few times a month. 6% maybe once a month. 27% said rarely or never. Okay? So that was based upon how, how often do you just pray for opportunities to share your faith? Are you asking God, God, open the door of opportunity and, and help me to be able to share my faith? Do you pray for that? So that's question one. Question two, in the past six months, it's a half a year, long time, how many times did you share with someone how to become a Christian? So how often, the past six months, have you shared your faith? You evangelized 16 or more times in the last six months, 3%. 11 to 15 times in the past six months, 1%. 6 to 10 times, 5%. 3 to 5 times, 12%. 1 to 2 times, 24%. 0, like I haven't done it at all, over half, 55%. Think for a moment. Where do you fit in that category? In the past six months, how many times have you intentionally sought to share your faith and done it? Think about the numbers. Think about the opportunities. Now, there are some that share with me many, many stories about the people they are evangelizing to. I mean, I I hear stories from people in this congregation, those that are uh, sharing the gospel in their workplace, uh, evangelizing to their co-workers, those that are uh, evangelizing in their communities, those that are intentionally reaching out to their neighbors. I, I know and hear often about our moms that have committed themselves to to caring for their children and their homes and creating hospitable environments that then allow the opportunities to invite people over to then evangelize at a dinner table. Dads that are committed to to faithful family worship to, to help to make sure that they don't miss their first priority, that's their children, to evangelize and to help share the gospel with them. I mean, there are many people within the congregation right here that are doing phenomenal work. Keep it up. But many are likely disappointed when they answer that question. 
when they really think about in the past six months how many times have I shared my faith, many of you are probably disappointed with the answer. And listen, I'm not here to guilt trip you. I just want to point you to what Scripture says. I want to help you to see that we can do this. The question is, why don't we do this? Many of us have reasons that are greater than others, uh, but there's a, a professor that has served of, at um, Southeastern Seminary for about 20 years uh, as a professor of evangelism and missions um, named Chuck Lawless. Maybe you're familiar with him. But he provides a list of nine reasons. I just want to rattle these off for you real quick, uh, and maybe you can pinpoint, maybe you can think of something that maybe strikes you. And, and give them to you. These are not, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want to help us to kind of uh, get into the framework here of we should share the gospel. We often don't share the gospel. And what are some reasons why we don't? And that will help us to see that we can do it. So, one, many don't know what evangelism is. They just don't know what evangelism is. And just for everybody's uh, sake, evangelism is teaching or talking about the gospel with the intent to, to help someone to understand their need for the gospel. Okay, it's sharing your faith. It's saying, hey, you are a sinner. You're, you're lost in sin. And there's hope for you, though, in Jesus Christ. And so repent, believe in him. It's evangelism. Number two, second reason that Chuck Lawson gives us, or Lawless gives us, we have few evangelistic role models. So there's just not a lot of people in your life that's maybe doing it well. No one's really shown you how to evangelize. Three, uh, some church members aren't convinced about lostness. Like, they're like, I'm in, I'm good. <laughs> not really worried too much about those around me. Four, some churches have provided no evangelism training. Now, uh, for your information, church members, uh, we're actually working on some evangelism training. Uh, beginning of the year, as the elders sat down and we looked at the year ahead, looked at the year behind. We said, hey, what are some things we've done well? What are some things we want to focus on? Evangelism was one of them. And so working on putting some evangelism training together uh, this summer and so hopefully that will be an encouragement to you all. Five, fear. Just fear. Right? Fear of the unknown. Like, what's going to happen? What are people going to think of me? Am I going to lose my job if I share the gospel in this context? Six, reason is that we've gotten over our salvation. We're just like, eh, I'm saved now. It's not really, I'm, I'm, I'm so far removed, you know, I'm a little more advanced now, I'm more in the higher theology of things. And so sharing, you know, just the basics of the gospel is kind of unneeded, I don't, unnecessary for me. And, you know, I got, I'm over here doing other things. Seven, this is the reasons that he gives. Pastors aren't taking the lead in evangelism. Eight, we don't really know many lost people. Are you just with Christians all the time? I mean, that can happen often in, this, in Liberty Land. 
We can find ourselves in the liberty bubble where it's just Christians, <laughs> Christians. We must be intentional. Nine, we don't really care about non-believers. I'm going to add a tent. This is my own, is busyness. We're busy. Too busy to evangelize. So once again, my goal today is to help you to see that if you are a Christian, you are fully equipped to evangelize. We're going to do that by looking at this story that Dr. Luke records in Acts chapter 8. I believe there are some key factors, some key observations that we can make here and patterns that will help us in our efforts to evangelize our neighbors, our nation, and our world. So before we get to this specific text, I just want to give us a a quick contextual sprint to where we are. A lot's happening in Acts. Uh, Philip that we'll look at here today, he shows up in Acts chapter 6. He was among the seven that were then set apart as a deacon, so then the uh, apostles could commit themselves to the work of uh, the preaching and the prayer. And so they, they set him apart. They say, hey, we, you've got some work to do in different areas. Philip is one of those. He was also among the Christians that were scattered after Stephen is stoned, if you recall that situation. Stephen is stoned. It causes great persecution. Christians are scattered, and God uses that to then bring the message of the gospel, to take the gospel to the surrounding areas. Philip then goes on, and he preaches. He shares the gospel. In verse 5 of chapter 8, we read that people are getting saved because of his work. There are healings. There are miracles happening. There's deliverance from demonic spirits. And Luke says in verse 8, there was much joy in that city. So, so Philip is being used by God in a mighty way where he is. I want you to just make sure you, you keep that here in mind. But then we pick the story up in this text. And we see that the Lord will, will pull Philip away from the crowds. All the great things that are happening, Philip is moved away from that. God says, I've got something different for you. You're going to go over here. Look at verse 26 in our text. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he, what? He rose and went. Now I want you to put yourself in Philip's place here. I mean, can you imagine being used by God, that the Lord is just using you and there are people getting saved because of your ministry. Now, you know, Philip's not one of the big 12, but something big is happening. The Lord is using him in significant ways. I mean, salvation is happening. And then all of a sudden, God's like, you got to go. I'm sending you somewhere else. Leave the excitement of evangelizing the city and, and go to the lonely 
desert. And what does Philip do? He goes. He goes. So first observation I want us to make here is Philip's obedience. Philip is obedient in his call. See, our way of thinking wouldn't necessarily lend itself to the idea of Philip leaving the place that great work is being done, would it? Our way of thinking would say, no, no, you you should stay there. You should do this because obviously something is happening. Maybe you're not hearing right. But we all know that our ways are not the Lord's ways. I mean, Scripture reminds us of this. In the prophet's writing in Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We must remember that our God's ways are are greater than our minds can sometimes comprehend. And we are not told that we have to know what God is always doing. We are told to trust that God knows what he is doing and to obey him faithfully. Wherever he leads us, whatever he says, and however it looks. Now listen, I'm not talking or promoting some type of sensationalism here or you know, you hearing and, and getting this, you know, uh, great picture of what your life's going to be like and then going and doing the same. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm talking about simple, prayerful submission to the Holy Spirit's work in your life through the teaching of his word. I'll give you a personal example. So last, the, this is Sunday, starting a new week. The week before last, uh, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I was down there for a training. I was, uh, it was three days of uh, training from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., a pastor's training with a network that I'm a part of. It was really rich, a lot of fellowship. It was good. Um, I flew out of Reagan uh, International because flights out of Lynchburg were ridiculously expensive, and so I, we wanted to save some money and, uh, because the church was paying for this trip. And so I said, oh, I'll be good to... You know, just I'll drive back from Reagan. My flight was coming back, landed at 10:10 p.m. And so my I was tired, very, very, very tired. Um, I was done, right? Just like didn't want to talk to people. I've been talking to people uh, for a week, uh, nonstop, just gathering information, sharing information. So my flight had a layover in Dallas, Texas. So my plan. From Albuquerque to Dallas, then Dallas to Reagan. I said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on the flight early. I was flying south, southwest. They do some weird stuff with seating. And I even, like, paid extra to kind of boost my ability to get on the flight earlier. And so I said, I'm going to get a good seat by the window. I'm going to put my AirPods in. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to get some rest before I have to drive three hours, three and a half hours at basically midnight when after you get your bags off the plane, all that fun stuff. Here I am. I've gotten on my seat. I'm the 13th person on the flight, and I'm sitting there, and I've nestled all up, and here come Chuck and Isabella. And I'm like, no way they're going to sit right here. Now, how do I know it's Chuck and Isabella? Because clearly I talked to them the whole flight back. 
So my idea of getting some rest and sleeping was completely interrupted because in my conversations with them, my early conversations before the flight took off, I found out that they were a part of the cult, Christian science cult. And I'm like, Lord, come on. (laughs) I don't know a lot about Christian science anyway, so I had to spend the first hour just asking questions. Like, what exactly do you all believe? I know it's not right, but all that to say, (laughs) I didn't need a sign from the Lord to say, hey, you need to engage with this couple. The sign was that they sat down beside me. The Lord protected me. I drove home. I made it safe with the help of loud music and windows open. But I made it home. And the point is not to pat myself on the back for talking to them. They did not come to faith in Christ. We had a conversation. We exchanged numbers, actually. And uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll continue our contact. The point is, is that we just do what the Bible says to do. Like, if you know you have neighbors that are lost, the Bible tells you to go engage with those neighbors. If you know you have coworkers that are lost, you don't need a sign to tell you to engage with those coworkers. If you have family members, friends, doesn't matter where you are. You are called to engage with them. Share the gospel. Evangelize. Doesn't matter what it is. Go and make disciples. I mean, that's what the scriptures teach us to do, right? We don't need anything special. We don't need a prompting. We don't need a nudge from the Spirit. No, we need to go. (laughs) We've already been commanded. So look what happens here. So Philip has gone, he's obeyed, and then the second half of verse 27 we read, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's returning. He's going back. He's seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip obediently goes. He's on this deserted road and all of a sudden rolls up this Ethiopian eunuch in all of his glory. He's got this caravan that is going down the way. Now Ethiopia in those times was a very large and prosperous kingdom in what would be known as the upper Nile region of South Egypt today. So this was an African man that had held Uh, He had a a high uh, role in his society. Uh, He would have been a treasurer or kind of a minister of finance in his land. Now, you may not be familiar with the word eunuch here. And it's a man that's been castrated for the purposes of trusted service to the king. So essentially, uh, they would uh, be uh, eliminated from any opportunity to kind of build their own kingdom. So here is this man who is a eunuch who has committed himself to the service of the king, but but he has made his way to Jerusalem to worship. Now he's returning. Now, apparently this man was a God-fearer. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you know that that means of people that uh, knew who God was. They were kind of Old Testament Christians. They feared God, but they did not understand about salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And so here he could visit the temple, but unfortunately he was not allowed in the temple. 
because of his bodily condition. So he was not allowed into the place of worship. He was just made to, to stay outside. He was treated as an outcast. This man has just completed a thousand-mile religious pilgrimage. And on his way home, he's reading Scripture. Listen, God is at work here. God is at work in this. And I want us to take note here that God typically sends his people where he's already at work. Listen, God is the author and finisher of salvation. He starts the work and he finishes the work. Now he uses his people. We become an agent of what he is already doing, but we're not responsible for the work of salvation. If it was solely based on us, then brothers and sisters, we would never bring anyone to Christ. It is God's work, and we see this here. Now, we read that he's reading the prophet Isaiah. I mean, they kind of gave Philip a softball here, right? Boom, like he wasn't in Leviticus or Numbers, right? Like, this is, this is good. He's there. And so this is also the reason why that the eunuchs would actually be reading this is because in Isaiah, they, uh, the prophet Isaiah writes that there's going to be a future for eunuchs that they won't be banned anymore. They'll actually be brought into the kingdom. So this would have been a great place for this eunuch as he's traveling back. Think about this journey. He's just been on this journey He's been ostracized. He's been banned from full temple worship. Now he's making his way back, and here he is reading some encouragement that, like, hey, one day this may not always be like this. But this eunuch does not really understand what's going on, does he? He doesn't truly understand what the prophet is saying here. So the Spirit tells Philip to go over and join him, and Philip does. So look at verse 30 with me. So Philip ran to him. He heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, he said, the eunuch, How can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So I want to stop right there, and I, I just want to point out that too often we enter situations with unbelievers where we automatically assume we know exactly where they are. Like, like we know because we have some perception of their life that we know exactly what they need to hear. Yes, we understand that everyone without Christ is lost. They're on the way to destruction eternally. If you are here and you are not in relationship with God through Christ, that is your future. But we also see here, we must also understand that in our efforts to evangelize, sometimes we need to take a moment and ask and figure out why they think they need to stay where they are. We need to engage with them. We need to have conversations. We need to ask questions. If you've ever paid attention, Jesus asked a lot of questions in his ministry, didn't he? He asked a lot of questions, and he would give an answer accordingly. 
Asking questions is a great way to get to the core of a person's ideology and, and, and help them kind of process and think through why they believe the way that they believe. And here we have this example. Philip and this eunuch, they're going along their way. Philip is asking questions. Hey, do you understand what's going on? Do you understand what you're reading? But there's another observation here that we, we can't miss. Philip sat with this man. And what does that tell us? He took time to be with him. I mentioned earlier that we are busy people, aren't we? In church, brothers and sisters, we must ask ourselves, do we intentionally make time for others to share with others? Are we intentional in our efforts? I mean, we live in such a busy world, and so often we get caught up in the daily grind that, grind that we fail to make time to talk with others, or much less walk them through the Scriptures, much less sit down and, and, and point and help answer questions about God's word alone. Pastor and theologian Buck Parsons is helpful here. I quote, evangelism isn't a fish on your car, a cross around your neck, or your personal testimony. It's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, end quote. And brothers and sisters, we must take time to do this. We must make time. I hear people say all the time, and some of you will smile because I've said this to you before, like, I just can't find the time. Well, guess what? You're never going to find time. You must make time. We make time for the things that are important. So we must evaluate how important do we believe evangelizing truly is. Look at your schedule. Look at your life. Look at your commitments. Oftentimes, you, you must take the time that you've been given, which is limited. We all have the same amount of time. We must say, how am I using this time? How am I stewarding my time? Time, talent, treasure. So we look at our time and we say, I need to make some time here. I need to, I need to incorporate time where I'm going to do these things. If I were to look at your schedule, if Jesus were to look at your schedule even better, what would he say you care about most? What would he say? I mean, this is not just for you. This is for me too. These are questions I, I have to ask myself. We're called to make time, to carve out time in our schedule. As we continue, we read that the passage that the eunuch is reading is Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. This is here in verse 32. It says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Then verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, 
Does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? So the eunuch asks this question like, what exactly does this mean? Is he talking about himself or or someone else? Now, a, a lot of Jewish religious experts of the time were conflicted and divided of the meaning of this passage. Some thought it was talking about Isaiah, that he was talking about himself. Some thought he was talking about Israel. Others thought Isaiah was talking about the Messiah. So there was a reason for his confusion here. He was hearing a lot of different views. Now, is that not our society today? Flooded with erroneous information, ideologies that are contrary to God's word. Love is love. Do what you want. Ultimate autonomy is the end goal of our lives. Worship doesn't matter. The church is ruined. I mean, there's just so many different things that come at us. Cultural Christianity, Christless conservatism. I mean, we, we see this all over our country. We have to help people. People trying to understand well, what's this really about? What's this Bible about? And look, spoiler alert, the Bible's about Jesus. Like from, from beginning to end, it's about God sending a redeemer, Jesus Christ, to save a rebellious people that he will then dwell with for eternity. Like, it's not about us. It's not about how awesome we are and how we can have our best lives and how, like, if we just do these things and avoid these things, that, like, everything's going to work out. That, it's not a, a list of rules. Now, when you're adopted into a family as Christians, they're a new set of parameters that you live by. Just as if I were to adopt a child into my home, they must live under the rules of my house. But there's blessing there. The Bible is about the God-man, Jesus Christ, coming to save these people that will be adopted into the family of God, that have been adopted now. And that's what it's all about. See, the scriptures are all meant to reveal the glory of Christ, to, to point us to the true Messiah. It's about a perfect God who sends a perfect Savior to save an imperfect people. Nobody in this room has it all together. And it's not based upon us to figure it out. It's based upon us to look to Christ, to trust in him for our shortcomings, and then ask the Spirit to work in us, sanctify us, change us, Make us, conform us into the image of our Savior as we pursue relationship with him. And Philip knew this. Look at verse 35. 
So he's asked the question. Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, let's make a quick observation and application right here. We must open our mouths to share God's word. We must use our mouths. We must share the good news of Christ. We must talk about our faith. It's great to live it. We want to model it. But modeling alone does not suffice. We must open our mouths. This is what we see. And how and why and what should we open our mouths about? God's word. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question here. Do you truly believe that God's word has the power to save? That God's word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, as we teach and explain the truths of the scripture, has the power to save. When God called me from dark to light, when he regenerated me, when he saved me, there was no music, there was no sermon, there was no lights, camera, action. There was nothing but me and a gentleman who pointed me to the scriptures And I read through Psalm 32, and the Holy Spirit just changed my life. I mean, radically changed my life. It's the power of the word. It's the power of God's word. It's his word. It changes hearts. Now, we help people. We have conversations, but we've got to get to the word. Evangelism void of the word is not evangelism. We must get to the word. Listen, a lot of people say they believe in sola scriptura, but man, they don't act like it. Pragmatism has become the God of our day. We think, we've got to do these different things. If we do these things, they'll come and, and then we'll, you know, we'll kind of throw in the gospel somewhere. No, we preach the word of God. We point people to to his word. We call them to repentance and faith in Christ and Christ alone. And let me just ease your mind here for those that didn't just graduate with a seminary degree or MDiv. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have a degree to be able to point people to God's word and Show them that God's word is about Jesus Christ. God uses everyday, ordinary people to share his word. We are equipped to evangelize through the power of his spirit in his word. It's his word that will work. We look to the scriptures. We point people to Jesus. If you have a copy of this, you're equipped. If you don't have a copy of this, grab one on your way out. It's our gift to you. Go and share the gospel. Remember, Jesus did this too, right? Remember how Jesus is walking and he runs across some folks that don't really understand 
that all the scriptures are about Jesus. Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's like, oh, yeah, all that, you're upset. It's all about me. I am the Messiah. We don't have to work hard or look far for an opportunity and find an opportunity to get to Jesus when we are studying his word. It's all about him. So quick recap. Philip is obedient. He obeys. He says, I'll go. Philip sits. He makes time. He's intentional with his time here. Then Philip explains that the scriptures are all about Jesus. I mean, this isn't rocket science, is it? Thank goodness, because I'm no rocket scientist. I mean, it's pretty simple stuff. And what happens? Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So apparently, God knew what he was doing when he sent Philip to the eunuch, right? He knew the result of this encounter. I mean, the text implies that the Ethiopian official here, this this eunuch, understood and accepted the gospel because he immediately wanted to get baptized here. Now listen, in the Christian faith, baptism follows profession, conversion. If you profess faith, you should then be baptized. If you're here and you've professed faith and you haven't been baptized, let me just encourage you, obey. It's an act of obedience. It's a one-time act of publicly declaring uh, what has happened inwardly that we can't see. It's a joining with the body of Christ. It's a saying, hey, I'm, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm putting on the jersey. Hold me accountable. It's an important step in your faith. Notice that it says they went down into the water. So just immersion, just, that's for all my potato friends. But... Uh, Baptism is a way to publicly identify Christ. And and here's what the eunuch does. He says, I'm going. I'm going to be baptized. Then in verse 39 we read, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So verse 39 is kind of confusing. Uh, It's been a lot of scholarly debate here whether uh, there was the spirit actually like carried him away and just he disappeared. Um, Or if it's just some um, hyperbole, just an exaggeration, we shouldn't take it literally. Um, It doesn't really matter. Uh, The the argument's gone on and we don't see exactly what the text uh, says. Uh, It doesn't give us an exact um, idea, but doesn't matter. What we should see is that the eunuch went away, what? Rejoicing. The eunuch has now been impacted by the gospel, and now the eunuch goes away rejoicing in the Lord. 
Friends, if you have truly met Jesus, you will go away rejoicing. If you have truly been transformed by the gospel, you will rejoice. A lot of church fathers say that this Ethiopian eunuch uh, was a great evangelist, that he was a helper, uh, he helped to start uh, many of the early churches there. Uh, We don't know that for sure based on this scripture, but a lot of historians and uh, scholars uh, agree with that. So if that's the case, what we see is that this eunuch now, he went and shared what he had learned himself. We don't hear about Philip until about 20 years later in Acts 21.8. We don't hear anything else great about him, but we see that he continued to go to city to city preaching the gospel to all the towns. Verse 40 tells us that before. Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Brothers and sisters, those that have been affected by the gospel, those that have been changed, you can too. You can go and share the gospel just as our friend Philip models here. God used Philip to advance the gospel. He he used him in mighty ways. And God is still moving today, but brothers and sisters, we must be obedient to the Lord. We must obey. We must seek the Lord's direction. We must be willing to ask questions. We must be willing to take time and spend time with others. And we must be familiar with God's word. I want to give us just a couple of quick application, practical applications, and then I'll pray for us. So as a church, corporately, small groups. Now, our small groups are meant to have an evangelistic component to them. If you're a member of this church and you are not in a small group, let me encourage you, get plugged in to a small group. Lord willing, this summer, the small groups will be doing different evangelistic opportunities within their communities, wherever the Lord has them placed. Also, corporately as a church, serving with the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. There's opportunity there to to serve, to evangelize. There's opportunities to share Christ with those that walk in the door there. There's ways to get involved corporately as a church. We're also, Lord willing, uh, the Bingham family, Cody and uh, his family, uh, will be (laughs) headed to Elon Baptist to take over a pastorate there pretty soon. Uh, May 28th will be their last Sunday. After he gets settled, Lord willing, we might send people there. There may be an opportunity for you to go there and help him in the work that he's doing. Grant and Ray's are headed to Hungary, Lord willing, soon. Maybe the Lord's calling you to Hungary. we're, We're fine with sending our best. 
personally, individually, how are you using your time? How are you using your life? How are you using the relationships that are uniquely given to you? Work, home, neighborhood, the park you go to, the coffee shop you visit, whatever the case may be. How are you using those opportunities to further advance the gospel? Whatever you're doing, keep doing it if you are. Do it well. If you're not, be challenged today. Moms, once again, let me just encourage you. The work that you do at home is so impactful. Fathers, the work you do at home, so impactful. Singles, use your time to help serve those families. Help create opportunities to evangelize. Charles Spurgeon once said, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. So where is your heart for evangelism? And if you have none, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to work in your heart to bring you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to now rejoice in our salvation and then share the good news of Jesus with others. Father, we ask, I pray on behalf of this church body, that we would be a people who eagerly and earnestly seek the lost, that we would look at our lives and we would evaluate our time, our effort, our energy, and we would ensure that we have given ourselves to evangelistic opportunities. Father, would you convict us where we're wrong and encourage us, strengthen us with your spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.